Welcome to Malicious Mamas, a podcast dedicated to an all-female perspective on lore, legends, and the creatures of the insomnia-driven fears you have at 3 a.m. I am your host, Nikki Mandiola. We are back, baby. I'm over the moon excited to get back into the show, especially during my favorite time of the year. You'll find that this month we have a lot of killer mamas on hand, including this one. No pun intended. You know what? Yeah, pun intended. The subject for our episode today is quite the controversy because of the fact that she may have actually not killed anyone. Her legend involves a lot of hearsay and witness testimonies, but no solid proof of murder. Despite that, she is still considered the first female serial killer here in the U.S. Keep it locked here for a tale of highway gangs and super strong thighs. Yeah, you heard me right. Let's get down to the business, shall we? This week's topic is Lavinia Fisher. Born sometime in 1793, Lavinia's beginnings are somewhat of a mystery. What we do know is that she spent the majority of her life in the U.S., specifically in Charleston, South Carolina, where her story takes place. There, she married John Fisher, and the couple set up the Six Mile Wayfarer House, a hotel located about six miles north of Charleston. The pair also happened to be active members of a large highway gang in the area, which, believe it or not, would come back to bite her in the end. Miles outside the city, during the early 19th century, the gang operated out of her place of business as well as the conveniently named Five Mile House. Fisher's Hotel also managed to do what a hotel is designed for, house guests for a brief stay. This only became an issue when word traveled back to the local sheriff about guests going missing. With a lack of evidence, and the Fishers actually being quite popular amongst locals, the authorities eventually dropped their investigation. Those who still thought that the Fishers were no good rotten murderers believed that Lavinia finished off her guests in a number of ways. To start off, she needed to get her victims, mostly male lone travelers, into the hotel. This was done by simply inviting them over for dinner. During their meal, Lavinia would ask her guests what they did for work, not so discreetly trying to figure out if they had money or not. If this worked and the guest was ready to retire for the evening, Lavinia would give her victim a cup of poison tea. Drinking the tea would kill the somehow unsuspecting guest, and just to make sure everything was taken care of, Mr. Fisher would stab the poor guy a couple times for good measure. Another version, which would later be verified by a witness, explains that Lavinia would give her victim a cup of poison tea designed to lull the man into a deep sleep. Once laid out on the bed for the night in this state, she would pull a lever, collapsing the bed, dropping her victim into a spiked pit. Pretty elaborate, right? In a less House of Horror-style death, Some believe that Lavinia herself would easily crush the heads of her guests between her thighs. Here is where I drop in the fact that the tales of her alleged murders became so exaggerated over time that it's hard to decipher fact from fiction. You can believe the thigh story, or you can dismiss it. 
up to you. Now, remember how Lavinia wasn't necessarily considered a murderer? Well, that doesn't mean she wasn't convicted of something. We wouldn't have this story, really, if she got off scot-free. As a member of the highway gang, both of the Fishers would be brought in on the charge of highway robbery, a capital offense at the time. This conviction was the result of two specific situations. First, in 1819, a vigilante gang came to the Fishers' neighborhood to stop the dangerous gang activity in the area. Once satisfied that they had accomplished their goal, the vigilantes left town. All but one of them, that is. David Ross, a young member of the gang, remained in the area to stand watch. How they thought it was a good idea to leave only one of them behind is beyond me. Early the next morning, Ross was attacked by two men and brought before the Fisher's gang. When Ross spotted Lavinia amongst the men, he pleaded to what he thought would be an empathetic woman. Instead, Lavinia showed off her womanly charms by choking the man and smashing his head through a window. Somehow, the man managed to escape and alert authorities. Immediately following this, in what could be considered a busy day, a traveler named John Peoples walked into the Six Mile, inquiring if a room was available. Lavinia was quick to tell the man that there was currently no vacancy, but insisted he stay for some tea. In an unforeseen twist, Peoples actually did not enjoy tea, but at the risk of seeming rude, agreed to stay. While Lavinia's back was turned, the man dumped out his cup. Maybe she was off her game that day, as Peoples describe his conversation with Lavinia as more of an interrogation. She asked her usual about his life and money situation, which immediately made the man suspicious. Especially at the end when Lavinia told him a room was now available. Peoples took her up on her offer of a stay, but still uncomfortable after their talk, he decided to sleep in a chair by the door. In the middle of the night, the man was awoken by the sound of a bed collapsing, and with this, he realized Lavinia's plan. Jumping from the window, Peoples journeyed to Charleston to alert the authorities. Now that the police had something solid to go on, they immediately left for the Fisher's Hotel. John surrendered right away in an attempt to protect his wife from the possible gunfire that would ensue. Mr. Fisher would again try to shield his wife from harm's way by revealing each of the gang members' names during the investigation, hoping it would help to release her. It did not. The pair pleaded not guilty during their arraignment, but would be found guilty of highway robbery by a jury during their trial. Kept in a jail cell together, the judge residing over their case allowed the couple an appeal. Not heavily guarded during this time, the pair attempted an escape by creating a rope made of their bed linens. During John's journey to freedom on this makeshift rope, it broke. Refusing to leave his wife behind, Mr. Fisher was soon apprehended. After this, their cell was kept under tighter security. On top of that, their appeal was also rejected, and the couple was sentenced to death by hanging. Although imprisoned, Lavinia kept to her cunning ways. 
In South Carolina at the time, it was law that a married woman could not be hanged. Once Lavinia figured this out, she mentioned it at her trial, to which the judge responded that her husband would be hanged first, leaving Lavinia as a widow, eligible for the same fate. With her first safety plan out the window, Lavinia concocted another. As a considerably beautiful woman, she believed that by wearing a wedding dress on the day of her execution, she could seduce a man in the audience to marry her on the spot, what with a priest present after all. When this didn't work, she was out of time. Infuriated that she would not be pardoned after all, with a noose around her neck, her last words were, If you have a message you want to send to hell, give it to me and I'll carry it. Then, not wanting to give the satisfaction of ending her life to someone, she jumped off the gallows herself. To this day, it is her spirit that is said to haunt the old Charleston jailhouse, possibly still seeking to be pardoned of her crimes. On that note, let's conclude this episode. If you have any suggestions on mamas you'd like me to cover or a spooky tale to share, please send an email to maliciousmamas at gmail.com. If you're looking for more mamas in your life, follow Malicious Mamas on both Instagram and Twitter. Also, if you could rate, comment, and subscribe to Malicious Mamas on your favorite podcast app, it would really help to get the show out there, and I would greatly appreciate the feedback. Until next time, keep it real, mamas. <laughs>